today on Ag News Daily. In the research community, first off, which was how how much methane and CO2 do cows generate and and a, a reliable and easy way to measure that. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pierce here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, it has been an exciting day in the markets, to put it mildly. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Mike. It's been an exciting day in the markets. It's also Super Tuesday. I don't know if you're into that kind of thing, but uh, that's been blowing up my Twitter feed today as well. Absolutely. You have to be into that kind of thing in a world in which the government has more power than ever before. That That's very true. It's very true. And we've seen uh, pretty much every Democratic candidate, except for just a slight few now, drop out. Right. That was the uh, the conversation yesterday. Pete Buttigieg dropped out Sunday. We saw Amy Klobuchar drop out yep. yesterday. Both of them have gone to endorse Joe Biden, along with former candidate who will come to get your gun. Rook from Texas. Uh, they're all trying to build that stone wall. They're they're not fans of uh, of Bernie, and they're trying to put together a moderate coalition that can go against him. And today's the day we'll kind of see how it all plays out. Yeah, I've been mm, t- talking about that too with folks, and it's kind of my speculation. I think most people would agree that essentially those candidates dropped out because they know Bernie doesn't really have a fighting chance against President Trump, and they think that potentially Joe Biden would. Well, that's what they're all banking on. And, right. and I, I don't know. You listen to Joe Biden talk, and half the time you don't know what the heck he's talking about. He's just making crazy things up. So <laughs> I, we'll see. Yeah. Okay, I, I think uh, Saturday Night Live did a pretty good job skewering that last week. But, you know, there's an argument to be made that when Bernie talks, even if he makes sense, it's still crazy stuff. So, <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know, who knows? And I'm not disparaging one party over the other. They're all insane. What so, a time to be alive, huh, Mike? Yeah, something. <laughs> I tell you what, it is a time to be alive. And here's what's so crazy. The big news of the day, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are aware by now, the U.S. Federal Reserve came out this morning at 9 a.m. Central Time, and they cut interest rates by 50 basis points. So basically half a percentage point. They lowered us from, oh gosh, I believe it was 1.75 and 1.5 to 1.75 was their target rate. They've dropped it down to 1 to one and a quarter, half of a percentage point doesn't sound like a whole lot, but in the big scheme of things, this is the largest single rate cut we have seen since 2008. So since for 12 years, we haven't seen the Fed be this active. Their argument was that coronavirus could be scaring the markets. We need to cut rates, encourage liquidity, keep people investing, and that's what they were doing. The reason this matters for agriculture is because this has significantly impacted the value of the U.S. dollar. So a lot of our listeners are probably aware, and we'll get to it when we talk markets, there were huge rallies today in the corn market and the wheat market, and soybeans went a little nuts, but not quite as crazy as the other two, and that was because what has held those two commodities up when it comes to price rallies is the fact that we have seen very slow exports. Well, exports are slowed down with a strong U.S. dollar. Today, the dollar dropped um, not quite a full point. Uh, The dollar dropped roughly 60 points from 97.70. Even now, it's come back up. We're trading 97.14 in the U.S. dollar index, which means that our stuff is currently a lot easier to ship to foreign buyers than it was before. And so that has definitely added some bullish sentiment into the markets. 
Yeah, and, uh, you know, I uh, suppose people probably were wishing that we could have had these explosive markets before the insurance price was set. Mike, we hinted at this yesterday, but we didn't actually discuss what the insurance prices or what the insurance levels were set at for this year. Yes, and so we were just talking about that here in the office, and uh, do you have those numbers handy? To I do, I do, and actually an interesting piece of news to go along with that. So, the 2020 corn crop insurance price is $3.88, which is down about 3% from last year. The soybean price is $9.17, which is down about 4%. Cotton is set at 68%, which is uh, 7% under 20, yeah, sorry, 68 cents, which is 7% under 2019 levels. And so essentially all of these prices are some of the lowest levels since 2016. And so because of that, Secretary Purdue has now said he's looking into whether he can do something about the drop in crop insurance prices. He said legally he's not sure if he has any flexibility to adjust those prices or not, but He's looking into it, he told reporters. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Did yeah. President Trump said that? No, Secretary Purdue. Oh, Secretary Purdue. I'm sorry, I misheard you. Okay, all right. I, I don't think he can. I think it's pretty well set in stone. I, you know, right. The insurance companies aren't going to be real thrilled if we start monkeying with the formulas, but who knows? It's D.C. in an election year. We can make anything happen. I guess so. Um, I wanted to jump back to a story we talked about two weeks ago before I went down to Commodity Classic. It is back in the news, and this is the rail blockades up in Canada. Uh, We talked about how, you know, they might be having a little bit of an impact on grain movements in that country, and they are. A Canadian national railway, uh, basically uh, CN Rail, came out earlier today, and they said they have lost the capacity due to these blockades, of 10,000 carloads of grain, or a million tons, uh, it's what those cars could carry, of export capacity out of Canada in February, solely due to the rail blockades by protesters opposed to the pipeline project. Um, They say that uh, the activists disrupted passenger freight, which you were uh, very astute in commenting on, Delaney, and freight traffic, uh, passenger traffic and freight traffic last month, and um, basically they're saying this had a real impact. It's They said of all the supply chains, the grain export shipment pipeline is the one that will take the longest to recover. So this will have lasting impact on uh, basis bids up to our friends in the Great White North. Yeah, and I don't think that's coming as any surprise. When you have a disruption in technology, something's got to give. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it definitely, it kind of dollars up. Absolutely. Well, Mike, really the only other big headline piece of news for today that I had, and I think this is definitely one that warrants a discussion, is African swine fever. We've seen Chinese researchers at multiple locations in China now claim that they have created a vaccine to address African swine fever. We saw the Harbin Veterinarian Research Institute of the Chinese Academy of Agricultural Sciences, that's a mouthful, said that they found an ASF vaccine that is a solid step towards industrial application. We also saw just last month the American Society for Microbiology published results from a new trial experimental vaccine, and they said they've also had some pretty positive effects. I guess, what does that mean long term? We might be one step closer to finding a vaccine, but from what I've read, it sounds like these vaccines are still really in their trial phases. 
Yeah. Okay, well, I've got to imagine that if this is true, we could see some bounce in the equity markets, and I would imagine a similar bounce in particular lean pork, uh, lean hog futures, if there's some hope that maybe we can start to mitigate some of the risk of this thing. I think that's, yeah, the takeaway here for sure. Well, I've got an interesting study. This is coming from the Food Industry Association and the Foundation for Meat and Poultry Research and Education um, and the Foundation for the North American Meat Institute, which is just a company or an institute I need to work for. I need to be working at the Meat Institute. That needs to be on my card. Um, they did a study looking at meat and poultry through the shopper's eyes. We talked about this yesterday, the study that was put out by the National Pork Board, looking at how consumers perceive pork from a country that has an African swine fever outbreak. These folks are doing the same thing. They found that the demand for meat is accelerating, in the U.S. in particular, is growing 50.5 billion dollars, is what they're shooting for for sales in 2019. They called this study the power of meat 2020. And as somebody who just ate a massive brisket sandwich for lunch, I'm very much on board with this. Here was the key concept that I came from, that I took away from this study. One of the things they really dove into was how consumers are looking at agriculture particularly meat production, in terms of sustainability. And 49% of consumers believe that animal agriculture does not have negative impacts on the planet. And they, uh, they say that there, there are people who believe it has negative impacts, and they tend to be the younger generations, which the Meat Institute says this shows that we still have time to educate these people and kind of you know, get them on the right page when it comes to how we treat the world through meat um, production. They also said that, uh, quote, this is from the Rick Stein, who is the FMI vice president. Uh, he said, quote, one of the most compelling storylines in the analysis that 83% of shoppers purchase specific cuts of meat and they're eating smaller portions. But with total volume sales up, that means they are eating more, less they're eating less more often. So basically, they're going to the store, they're buying smaller, more petite cuts, but they're buying more of them and eating it more often, which is a very good sign, um, I think, for meat producers in this country. Yeah, and I mean, I think at the end of the day, the the main takeaway here is maybe people are eating less meat, but at least they're still eating meat, and we're not seeing a trend to going meatless. Right, yep, you talked about that, what, two weeks ago? There's 2% yeah. of people that might right. go meatless. So right. Who cares? Yeah. Let them go meatless. Right, exactly. There's more meat for the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to, good way to put that. Give me all the brisket. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. We definitely had people wanting all of the corn earlier today. Buyers were out in force in the futures market. Delaney, what do you say? Should we jump and see where prices finished? Let's do that after we hear a quick word from our sponsors from HTS Ag. Sponsoring today's Tech Tuesday episode is HTS Ag. And HTS Ag not only dedicates themselves to technology, but they're also producers in the field. I've got on the line with me Adam Gittens, who is the general manager, and also using some of the technology that HTS has to offer on his own operation. Adam, tell me a little bit about some of the trials that you're doing to show to your customers just the technology that you guys have in your toolbox. Delaney, we really believe that we need to prove the technology in our own operations before we take it to our customers. And this is just another example of that. So we have for multiple years been collecting data on electric drives and turn compensation from those drives in southwest Iowa. And we are once again doing that on my own farm this year. 
where we simply uh, worked with Ag Leader Technology to turn off the turn compensation and use the same planter. So we planted every other pass with and without turn compensation. The data is absolutely stunning already, and I can't wait until we get to harvest and be able to share those results with our customers. And folks, when harvest rolls around, you can find all of that information at www.htsag.com. Thank you very much, HTS Ag. Folks, give them a holler for all of your ag tech requirements. They are the experts. In the corn market today, we saw the May contract up five and three quarter cents to finish at three eighty one and a quarter. December up three and three quarters to finish at three eighty four and a half. Over in the soybean markets, the May contract was up two and a half cents, well off today's high, but still in the green. Closed the day at nine oh three and a half. The November new crop contract up one and a half cents to finish at nine nineteen and a quarter. In Chicago wheat, the May contract was up four cents at five twenty seven and a quarter, while December was up three and a quarter, closing the day at five forty four and a half. Nice to see green on the screen in the wheat market, they have earned it. Looking over at cattle, interesting trade today. We saw a big gap higher at the open as yesterday's equity enthusiasm carried forward into cattle, but they couldn't maintain those gains. April live cattle closed down a nickel at 110.10. The June contract down at 60 cents at 103.37.50. Over in feeder cattle, the April contract was down $1.2750. range today in April feeders. Closed the day at 133.77 half. The May down a dollar ninety two fifty wrapping up the trade at one thirty four oh five. Lean hog did finish positive on the day. The April contract closed up seventy five cents at sixty three fifty five. The May up sixty five to finish at sixty nine sixty two and a half. Looking over in the world of dairy, in Class Three milk, the milk the March contract was down three cents at sixteen thirty four, while the April woof down twenty cents on the day to close at sixteen oh eight. Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion? Well, Mike, we are chatting with the Chief Revenue Officer of C-Lock Inc. out of Rapid City, South Dakota, Kurt Westberg, looking at some technology hitting the pipeline for the cattle industry. Well, for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday episode, I'm joined by Kurt Westberg with C-Lock Inc., who is the Chief Revenue Officer based out of Rapids City, South Dakota. Kurt, thanks for joining today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So C-Lock Inc., tell us a little bit about the 10,000-foot view. What do you guys do? Okay. C-Lock is a corporation founded by Scott or by Pat Zimmerman uh, back in 2008 in conjunction with his son Scott they're they're the CEO and president of the organization now Pat is uh, is a world-renowned atmospheric scientist that worked uh, at National Center for Atmospheric Research and the School of Mines the South Dakota School of Mines here in in Rapid City and one of his passions his whole life has been to translate research into something that can actually be utilized. There's a lot of research out there in the world that never sees anything other than a publication. And, and he's, it's always bugged him. And so he's, he and his son, Scott set out to, uh, to answer a specific question in, in the research community first off, which was how, how much methane and CO2 do cows generate and, and 
a, a reliable and easy way to measure that. And then from there, the technology that was, that was uh, pioneered in creating that application has spread out to um, other pieces of equipment that will uh, allow producers to accurately deliver supplements to individual animals and uh, measure efficiencies, determine uh, weight and, and uh, you know, potentially spot sick animals faster. There's a number of, of applications that have fallen out of the original uh, purpose mm-hmm. of the company. Well, that's very neat. And this this is definitely a hot topic in agriculture as you look at those folks in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere concerned about sustainability and the environment. Uh, This is a very timely topic. I want to get to the technology that the company has created. But first, I've got to ask Kurt, and I know this might not be your specific area of expertise, but when they looked at measuring CO2 and methane released from cattle, how did they go about doing that? And what did they find as a way to actually measure that well back in the 80s uh pat was pretty instrumental in in pioneering the original measurements of methane from cattle it's always been known that well not always but it it was it was determined that that uh biogenic methane is is probably the largest contributor to methane from all sources marshes um not just cattle, but from all over the place. But cattle are a big contributor. Agriculture is a big contributor to methane. And and uh, he pioneered a, a technique uh, utilizing a, a compound called sulfur hexafluoride that was um, uh, provided the first real results in terms of, of real world uh, measurement of, of what's happening with cattle. And then... Uh, the problem with that technology was that it it uh, was difficult to replicate uh, in, you know, every scientist did it a little bit different. And so the results weren't comparable um, or weren't comparable, I should say, and uh, or weren't overly comparable. It was difficult to, to really get a, a accurate picture of exactly what was going on. And so what he and Scott uh, determined was that it it's possible to induce a cow to stick uh, its head in a, in an instrument because they're food motivated and you can give them something that they like. So you treat, you give them a treat, they stick their head in what the, the piece of equipment that they developed is called a green feed. And it's become the really the, the gold standard for measuring methane and CO2 in animal science departments around the world. And, and with increasingly with corporations, um, such as DSM and other corporations that are working on, on developing compounds uh, that will help uh, lower the methane emissions from animals. Because uh, one of the reasons that this is important is that methane is, uh, you know, 89 times more powerful green, greenhouse gas than CO2 is. And so there's less of it, but if you can make changes to methane emissions, then you can have a, a larger effect overall on greenhouse gas emissions than if you're trying to reduce CO2 alone. Um, and, and there's ways in the rumen uh, to apparent, uh, you know, there's, it's becoming clear that there's ways in the rumen to mitigate that. There's, you've probably heard about uh, compounds in seaweed that can do this. Mm-hmm. And, and yep. there's a number of, there's a lot of research going into the, to the, uh, to trying to figure out ways to lower methane emissions from, from cattle, 
without affecting productivity and, and, uh, you know, everything that goes along with it. So, um, the, the unit itself, the green feed is, a is a machine that sits there in the, in the pen where the cattle are and they stick their head in it. They leave their head in it for two or three minutes because they're being treated while they're in there. Being then treated they, with, with like a treated vaccination? With like, no, no, no. Be, I'm sorry. I should. They're giving. They're getting a treat, like getting a oh, cookie. Oh, okay. The it's ca- incentivizing the, them to come and exactly. use the system. Got yeah. it. Whatever the cow equivalent of a cookie is, that's what they get. <laughs> and uh, and they uh, and they uh, while they're in there, ninety ninety plus percent of the methane that is is generated by a cow comes in the form of burps. So people, that's the first misnomer that people have is I think that methane comes from the usual sources, but it doesn't. And, uh, and so it's, it's a good way to measure it. And what this machine does is it sucks air past the animal's head into a, into a tube that, that makes sure it's proper, you know, that hmm. it's properly mi- mixed and uniform and then pulls a sample out of the top and measures the methane. And if you can get 20 to 30 measurements from an individual animal over a period of a week to two weeks, you can tell uh, very, you can tell with great accuracy what the methane flux is that they're producing, exactly uh-huh. how much methane they're producing. So, so is, it's the, a, it's edit. Is, is the green feed system then, is it actually feeding the, the cow as well, or is it just measuring their methane emission because of the treats that they're eating during that time. Right. I mean, it's not, it's not delivering their whole diet. No. Okay. Um, it's just measure. It, it's goal is to measure methane. Sometimes, uh, you know, the feed bin, if it's small amounts of something, you can deliver, you can deliver it along with the treat, but it's not a, it's not a feeding unit. It's a measurement unit. Okay. Gotcha. And I assume then there's some sort of either ear chip or tag that's tracking each individual animal as it's sticking its head through the system. Yeah, pretty much any standard RFID tag, uh, duplex or half duplex tag will work. uh, There's an antenna in it that picks up the, the identification for that particular animal. And then it knows that animal produced this much methane. And Kurt, I guess this is a, a silly question, but besides the environmental concern, why would a producer want to measure the methane that their cattle are releasing? Um, it's a it's an indicator of forage quality. There's a number of other indicators that that methane production can can do. One of one of the things that's uh, you know is is not being uh, utilized. Uh, extensively at this point but that's possible is that weaning weaning calves you know you don't want to wean a calf before it becomes a before its rumen develops before it becomes or you take the risk of uh you know creating problems for that for that calf and and potentially there's a you know there's a it's a point of of failure with cattle right when they go from when we're in in the production environment that we're in where we're weaning a bunch of them at the same time they're not all in the same stage so one of the other applications that this machine can be used for is to determine when animals actually start ruminating start becoming you know adult the rumens develop enough to to actually take advantage of the forage 
that they're being fed. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and working on their conversion efficiency. Working on conversion efficiencies. Another, another possibility with this machine is to measure dry matter intake. So, so efficiency is something that we as a company are, are, are uh, dedicated to helping producers and scientists figure out. But, but uh, one of the indicators uh, is there's been several pub studies published that allow that CO2, which this machine also measures, carbon dioxide, which this machine also measures, is uh, uh, correlated with the uh, with dry matter intake from animals. So is methane, actually, for that matter. But but uh, and so we get a uh, you know you can you can for the first time now I think it's possible to to determine um, efficiencies on pasture. Right. Mm -hmm. Efficiency. Efficiency is, uh, you know, one of the one of the EPDs that that seed stock guys uh, and bull buyers pay attention to is is conversion efficiency. Right. And so the uh, and that's relatively easy to measure in a feedlot. But but nobody's really been able to determine if uh, if those efficiencies equate to pasture efficiency as well. So. I think that's another another thing that can be uh, one of the reasons why, you know, knowing these things can be important. And, you know, it, it kind of brings up a point that I think is is that, you know, we really as 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 producers and scientists don't know a lot of the questions to ask yet, because finding out these numbers from individual animals in a reproducible and um, relatively easy way has not been possible. And so the so. You know, scientists are always finding out ways to different things that these that these that this equipment can answer. Different questions that this equipment can answer. Absolutely, and we're just kind of on the brink of finding out all, all that information. Kurt, uh, before I let you go, if folks have more questions about Sea Lock technology, where should they go to find out more information? Um, they can go to our website at www.c-lock. Inc.com, um, or you can Google us on on the web under uh, either SmartFeed or GreenFeed. I do want to say one other thing that one of the product, a, a couple of the other products that we're working on are are geared primarily at producers. One of the one of the main ones is a super smart feed that will allow uh, producers to deliver supplementation in an accurate manner to individual animals. Right now. Historically, management of cattle in a production environment has been done at the herd level. So if you've got 100 cows in a pasture and you want to have each of them eat, two, you want to deliver two pounds of supplement to those animals, you put 200 pounds of supplement out in the pasture, and if it's gone, you assume that two pounds of, has been eaten by each animal, but that's absolutely not the case. Some animals eat eight pounds and some animals don't get any. Right or will or won't eat it, right? Mm -hmm. And so, what this, what our equipment allows producers to do is determine exactly which animals are are taking advantage of supplements and exactly how much they're eating, and control that. So you can say this animal only gets two pounds, and then it'll once they've eaten two pounds, it'll stop. So we have a number of of different pieces of equipment that are designed to help. Uh, 
producers take the management of the herd from the herd level down to the individuals, which I think is really the big, the big push in, in technology uh, or, and getting that out to the producers is, is it allows them to do things that they've never been able to do before because uh, there just wasn't any way to control it. Kurt, besides online, how else can folks reach out to you if they've got questions? Uh, you can feel free to call 605-791-5657, and uh, the person who answers the phone will be able to direct you just fine. Absolutely. I mean, we're at the we're at an exciting point here in agriculture, being able to use this information to better our operations. Kurt, thanks so much for joining today. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, that was uh, interesting stuff, Mike. I think it's interesting to see a company developing the technology to measure the actual greenhouse gas emissions or pollution, if you will, from the cattle industry. And I think that's funny. I wish Ocasio, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez could understand that it's actually cow burps that release emissions, not cow farts. And there's a really strong argument. I've heard this made by, uh, by Sarah Place from the NCBA. Yes. She's, uh, I forget what she does. She's a doctor, professor, uh, PhD person over there. Yes. It, the methane that cattle are producing is methane that will eventually work itself back into the cycle. They're not producing new methane like what happens when we drill these new fossil fuels, which then, then contribute additional methane. Cattle are all part of the cycle. It goes back to having 90 million bison roaming the plains, especially up there in South Dakota. Absolutely. It's interesting stuff, though, I tell you what. It is. So, listeners, if you want to stay up to date on interesting things in the world of agriculture, give us a follow. Find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Search for Ag News Daily. We will be there. Visit our website at agnewsdaily.com and connect with us. Connect with the other podcasts on the Global Ag Network. We've got great voices out there sharing stories in agriculture, and we'd love to hear from you. With that, Delaney House, we let the people go. Let's let them go.